Welcome to Myth the Ladies, the podcast where we talk about women from mythology and folklore all over the world. We're your hosts. I'm Lizzie. And I'm Zoe. Lizzie, how's it going? It's going pretty good. I've talked a little bit about my thesis, but now I actually have data. Like, I actually have results now, so that's really exciting. Even though I have, like, thousands of things to read. Um, <laughs> so that's not fun, but also nice that I have a big sample size. So that's that's nice. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're just that popular. Yeah, well, my thesis is an interesting topic, I guess. It I is, definitely. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Yeah, no, it's really interesting reading the responses. It's it's very cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyway, how are you? I'm good. Um, I woke up like an hour ago, so I'm still a little sleepy. But the most exciting thing in my life right now is that I had some work done on my closet. So there are shelves now in built, and I put all my stuff back in there yesterday like all my clothes and everything and it looks very great and organized and that's making me really happy so (laughs) that's very exciting Um, yeah that is that's up what's up with me I love controlled chaos organization so true organization is great Mm -hmm. Alrighty. so Lizzie who are we going to be talking about today Today we'll be talking about Yananga, who is a legendary warrior princess from Burkina Faso. Awesome. Have you heard of her? I think I looked up her once from our list, but besides that, I don't really know much about her. Nice. Okay, so to begin, the Masi people are an ethnic group native to Burkina Faso and are the largest ethnic group in Burkina Faso, making up roughly 52% of the population. The Masi kingdom was established anywhere between the 11th and 15th centuries, though expansion was halted by French colonization beginning in 1896. Mm. Yeah. As is the case for most groups, there is variation within the Masi people. Specifically, Masi society can be split into two groups. The political class descended from horsemen who conquered the land called the Nakomse, which means people of power. Mm. And the spiritual class descended from farmers called the Tengabisi, which means people of the earth. Interesting. And the origin story I'm about to tell with Yananga principally involves the Nakomse people, and the Tengabisi people don't share these origins. Gotcha. Yeah, so they're... The same ethnic group, but they have different origins. The two different groups within yeah. the group have different origins, and you're going to tell us the origins of, like, one group. Yeah. Awesome. Well, I mean, I feel like the Nakomse um, people's origin story is for all of the Masi people. It just isn't necessarily, like, corroborated by everyone. Okay. Gotcha. But I'm not 100% sure about that. Anyway, let's begin. So, Hinenga was born in the Dagomba Kingdom in present-day northern Ghana. Her father was the king of the Dagomba people named Nadega, and her mother was Queen Napoko. When she was young, she developed a great love for animals. Even as a child, she would attend animal births and comfort and tend to animals such as sheep and birds, but her favorite animal was the horse. Yenenga mm. had several brothers who all commanded their own battalion, and their father encouraged Yenenga to learn horseback riding, fighting, spear throwing, and bowmanship as well. Awesome. And she she surpassed them all in skill. Oh, good. <laughs> she was extremely talented, graceful, and strong. She was an exceedingly good warrior and fought many victories for her father. 
She commanded her own battalion as well as the royal guard. Wow. Her name, Yenanga, means the svelte in reference to her tall and elegant figure. Awesome. In addition to being extremely skilled, she was also reported to be the most beautiful woman in the kingdom. It sounds... As is... I feel like that's usual for, <laughs> yeah, for legendary ladies. Yeah, it definitely ladies. is. It also sounds accurate from your description of her. So. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, in the book In Praise of Black Women by Simone Schwartz-Bart, she writes... Yenanga was her name, and she was so beautiful that the praise singers compared her to an open parasol and a gingerbread palm, trunk reaching toward the sky. And she was so fearless in battle that they often described her as a lioness with stubborn chin and flowing mane. Wow. I know, pretty fun. It is also mentioned in a few sources that because of Yenanga's association with lionesses, the people of the Masi kingdom don't hunt lions. They prefer hunting elephants, buffaloes, and panthers but they won't go after lions unless provoked. Interesting. I will say I didn't see anything about that outside of the Yenanga story when I googled, but I don't know. It's a pretty cool detail anyway. Yeah. Uh-huh. However, as she grew into a young woman, she longed for more than just fighting and battle and wished to start a family. When she told her father this, he was reluctant to let her go. When suitors started showing up for Yenanga, he turned them all away, claiming none of them were good enough for his daughter. Yenanga became angry and wished to show her father how she felt. She planted a field of okra, corn, or wheat, depending on the version. And after several months, the okra was flourishing, and Nadega boasted about his daughter's agricultural skills. Then, she stopped tending to the field and let the plants wither and die. Oh. When her father asked why she let her crops die, she told him that he was doing the same thing to her, allowing her to wither and die. Wow. I know, powerful statement. Mm-hmm. But her father wasn't impressed by her resolve and stubbornness. Fearing his daughter would act out and disobey him, King Nadega locked Yenanga up so she couldn't escape. Hmm. But Yenanga, who was battle-savvy and sharp, soon hatched a plan. She disguised herself as a man and escaped with the help of one of the guards and broke out of the prison. She mounted her horse and rode away as far as she could, eventually resting in the north of the region. Awesome. Amazing. (laughs) Yeah. So cool. Right? In yeah. some versions, she is completely alone um, or, like, accompanied by the guard who have helped her. And in others, she mm-hmm. has an entourage of servants. But regardless, she eventually stumbled across a hunter's hut. The man who owned this hut was an elephant hunter named Rial, who was the son of a Monday king who had been dethroned and murdered by his own people. Mm. And so he was subsequently exiled. And he was, like, on the run. Interesting. But he's still royalty. Sort of. I mean, technically, yeah, but also he's kind of on the run from his own people, so. Ah, I see. Okay. So they eventually married. Oh, wait. Sorry, I skipped a bit. It's okay. I kind of figured. (laughs) (laughs) Rial took her for a wealthy man and invited her inside. Oh. Yenanga kept, well, she was still wearing, like, men's clothes at this time. I know, I know, I know, I know. It's just interesting. Yeah. To me personally. Yenanga kept her identity hidden for several days of staying with him, but at one point her helmet fell off, revealing her flowing hair. So I know we said this last time, but it kind of is a Shrek moment because... Because of the moment where he takes off his mask, or like the yeah, because he take, he's wearing the helmet when he rescues Fiona from the dragon, and then when he takes it off, um, <laughs> then she realizes he's an ogre and not like a knight, even though he's green. I did not make that connection. <laughs> Anyways, I'm sorry. That's a 
Anyway. But instead of it being an ogre, she's a beautiful woman. Some would say that's a that's a much better discovery. <laughs> Riala realized she was a woman and fell in love with her. They eventually married and had a son who they named Wedrogo, which means stallion, in honor of the horse that brought Yananga there. Nice. Yeah. So years passed, and when Wedrogo was 17... Yenenga brought him to meet his grandfather. King Nadega hadn't heard anything from Yenenga for years, and he was, was delighted at the return of his daughter, having long since forgiven her. Yenenga left her son in King Nadega's care so that he could learn from his grandfather and returned home, as in Yenenga returned home, mm-hmm. leaving Wedorogo in the Dagoba kingdom. Mm-hmm. So King Nadega taught Wedorogo many things and informed him that he was next in line for the throne. Hmm. However, much like his mother, Widorogo wished to carve out his own destiny and establish his own kingdom. Having learned from his former mistakes, King Nadega gave Widorogo his blessing as well as a large number of troops to command. Widorogo returned to his parents to pay his respects to them, then rode north where he founded the first Masi kingdom in much of present-day Burkina Faso in northern Ghana. The Masi kingdom still exists today and has only known one dynasty, a chain of 37 monarchs who are all descendants of Widrogo. The 37th and current king is Naba Baungo II. Naba, by the way, means chieftain or leader. Mm. And he began his rule in 1983. Wow. Yeah. It's pretty cool that it can be traced back all the way back to Widrogo. Yeah, 37. That's a lot. Yeah, like that's, that's crazy. It's very yeah, cool. That's a long-lasting dynasty. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yenenga is considered to be the mother of the Masi kingdom, and her legacy continues to present-day Burkina Faso. So there are a number of statues and sculptures of her. Notably, there's at least one statue in Magadugu, the capital of Burkina Faso, in which she is depicted wielding a bow and a spear. In addition to that, um, Burkina Faso's national soccer team is referred to as Les Italons, or the Stallions, in reference to Yenenga's horse. Mm. Awesome. There's also a soccer club in Ouagadougou that was founded in 1947, originally named after Joan of Arc, but later changed to L'Association Sportive du Faso Yenenga, or the Sports Association of Faso Yenenga. Awesome. That's really great. Yeah. I think it's cool that <laughs> changed it from Joan of Arc to Yenenga. I mean, Joan of Arc is also cool, obviously, but she's yeah. like European, so yeah. less yeah. relevant. You know, she's definitely like a French nationalist symbol. That so too. To change it to like yeah. a Maasai nationalist symbol instead is yeah. cool. It's a, the better option. Definitely. There's also a biennial film festival that takes place in Burkina Faso called the Pan-African Film and Television Festival of Ouagadougou or the Festival Pan-African de Cinéma et de la Télévision de Ouagadougou. Where the first prize is called the Etalon de Yenenga, or Yenenga's Stallion. Wow. And winners receive a small gold statue depicting Yenenga on her stallion. Wow. So she is just everywhere. Right? Because she's like sports, like movies. Yeah, she's just like their national pride, like this this woman. Yeah, like it's very yeah. cool. Also, in 2017, it was announced that a new city will be built 15 kilometers south of Ouagadougou, which will be called Yenenga. And as of 2021, I believe it's still in progress. Mm-hmm. But yeah. yeah, so she's very important, Burkina Faso. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what are your overall thoughts? I think this story is super interesting, as I've sort of expressed throughout. I think I've expressed this before to you, probably also on the podcast, I just think that stories of women who are, like, sort of symbols of nations or people Mm -hmm. are just very interesting to me. Yeah. Um, And how, like, they can become, like, sort of, like, an identity 
like a cultural identity. I just think that's really interesting. And also in general, really interested in how like mythology and stories form identity, which we've like talked about many times before. So the story basically checks a lot of boxes. I just think it's really cool. And like the influence that she has even today is like significant. And it also makes sense because like the current monarch, I mean, the, the dynasty is unbroken. It's not like there's any like challengers. So it makes sense that legacy is still continuing very prominently to this day. Yeah, I think it's cool that her legacy seems to be pretty consistent from the time of Widerogo up until now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, that's quite cool. I really, yeah. really like her story. Mm-hmm. And it's really awesome that it's been able to uh, continue even despite the devastation of colonization. Mm-hmm. And even like to the extent that they replace, like I said before, a French symbol of Joan of Arc to the symbol of Yonanga to be like their own symbol to, and sort of like reclaim their legacy and yeah. their stories and their culture, which I just think is really, it's, I mean, it's just very symbolic to me and yeah. I think really awesome. I agree. Obviously, there's some moderate Mulan parallels, like yeah, the you know, like woman warrior as a, as a man. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's not very extreme. Like they're clearly very different stories. Yeah, but, like that's something I noticed, and I was thinking about basically when she's escaping. You know, she's raised to be a warrior. Like her father wants her to be a warrior. He wants her to be like fighting alongside her brothers and everything. Exactly. And then those skills are eventually like what allows her to escape and forge her own path and destiny. Yeah, exactly. Even though her father doesn't want that for her, he wants to sort of like just keep her for whatever reason, like whether, you know, he's just, I love my daughter, I don't want anything, I don't want to let her go, you know, or whatever. And so I just think it's very, I don't know, symbolic that like those skills that she brings that she's gotten through her father's influence and like interference sort of are the ones that she ultimately uses to like defy him and go away from him and I just think that's really neat. That's totally right yeah I hadn't thought about that actually. Mm-hmm. Yeah there's also some Oba parallels because just a little because I remember at the beginning of Oba's story she was trying to get married and her father didn't yeah. want her to marry anyone until Shango came by and was like I'm gonna marry her and the father was like well yeah you are like a god so yeah (laughs) you're gonna marry her (laughs) so that sort of made me think of it I think it's really interesting because normally in sort of like European stories there's the desire for the woman to marry and then the woman's like I don't want to marry and I'm gonna forge my new path or whatever yeah which is also nice yeah which is also nice and this story it's like no I do want to marry and you're keeping me from getting married and I think it just shows like ultimately it's just about choice and having control over your destiny and like regardless restricting one's destiny no matter what like the restriction is is bad yeah exactly so I think that uh, I think it's really cool I, I mean, I really like this story. Yeah, me too. I think it's a nice story. Yeah. So I do want to mention that there's a lot of variation in her story um, as is natural since it's an oral tradition. <laughs> so I basically just repeated the, the details that were common in all or many of the sources I read. And I didn't include any details unless I saw them in multiple versions. When it comes to oral storytelling, it's important to be a little bit cautious, especially telling stories from colonized peoples where the sources you find may have been somehow altered to fit any sort of agenda or due to negligence. Mm-hmm. So it's possible that some of the details in the story I told may have had colonizer influence, even though I tried to avoid that. I mean, there were some details from, like, the French versions in particular that I was like, eh, mm-hmm. maybe not, but just... Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, just putting that out there. Moving on. According to UNESCO's Women in African Histories module about Yenenga, some variations of Yenenga's story include her name varying from Yenenga or Yenega to Poku or Yalanga, and her father's name can vary from Nadega to Nakbewa in Dagomba or Nabawa in the Mampusi tradition. The details that all versions of Yenenga's story have in common are that she is the daughter of the king of the Dagomba people, that she is a skilled warrior, and that she meets an elephant hunter from a different community and gives birth to a son who 
would found the Mossy Kingdom. Other details appear in some versions but not others, and sometimes names and genders of the characters vary. In terms of the historical context, I mentioned earlier that this could have been taking place anywhere from the 11th to the 15th century. Some sources I read place it definitively in the early 12th century, while others say it most likely happened between the 14th and 15th centuries, around the time of the arrival of migrants in northern Ghana. Mm. While it's not known for certain, the dominant theory says that migrants from the Lake Chad area arrived in northern Ghana after passing through present-day Niger during a migration that would have lasted several hundred years. Oh, is this like part of the Bantu migration? Possibly. Okay. I'm not sure. The leader at the time of arrival was named Tohazi, whose name means Red Hunter in the Mamperuli language. And according to Dagomba and Mamperuli traditions, Tohazi is the ancestor of a great chieftain called Nagbewa, who, if you remember from a minute ago, is another name for Yenanga's father, hmm. Nadega. Also, a source by the Masi historian Yamba Tiendrebeogo traces the ancestral line of Widorogo's descendants all the way back to the 1100s, beginning with Widorogo, whose reign evidently ended in 1132, where he was succeeded by his son. And if you look online, you can also see like the whole line of Widorogo's descendants up until now. Cool. Which is pretty cool. So yeah, um, Yenenga's story is important in the founding of the Masi kingdom and is still important to Masi people today, clearly. And like you said, she's an important symbol of Burkina Faso. Um, I do think that there's ways you could potentially view her story as sort of like less feminist. Mm. By the way, she gave up being a skilled warrior in order to become a wife and mother and how that could potentially send the message that all women are destined to be wives and mothers, you know? Um, however, I think it's a little bit deeper than that. I think I don't think she ran away solely just so she could find a husband, but because the environment she was living in was incredibly restrictive and unfair. She was basically being used as a weapon in her father's army and winning battles for him without going after her own desires or having any freedom. Yeah, that was basically like how I was thinking of it too, is just basically she's been raised in this one place her whole life and she wants to go off and do her own thing now. Yeah, she wants to like make her own life and not just do what her father wants her to do. Mm-hmm. She didn't give up all of her skills in battle when she ran away to Rial, but rather one source I read talked about how she taught her husband strategy skills and he taught her how to hunt, and they became a successful team, treating each other as equals. So in this sense, she was able to use her skills in ways that were more fulfilling than fighting in battle, and she found a companion that saw her as an equal. Yeah. Which I think is a much more fulfilling life for her. Definitely. Yeah. I feel like there's just this tendency among like primarily white Western feminists to be like, there's only one potential destiny for women that's like quote unquote feminist. And I feel like that's not, that shouldn't be the case. And that idea in itself is goes against the idea of feminism because feminism is just the idea that like giving women the agency to do what they want with their lives in a way. And like, I mean, yeah, I certainly don't think that Yenanga is anti-feminist for yeah, choosing exactly. to like, like get married. It's what she wanted yeah. to do. I mean, like, sure, when you're like raised, with, obviously, we've talked about like, you know, the Disney story. Of, oh, she gets saved by the prince or whatever. Then the idea of her being a warrior seems really cool and feminist or whatever. But as you said, her being this, that's the life that she was thrust into, not necessarily the, the one that she was given. And she wants to make her own way now. Like she wants to have her own life. And that before that, she didn't really have have her own life she was just sort of being like used by her father and like fighting for her father and she didn't really have a and she never to... chose to become a warrior she just did what yeah. her father wanted and yeah she like never really had the opportunity to see what she really wanted mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And now this her leaving to go get married is her chance to see what she wants. Yeah. And then, of course, again, it's very important to consider in the situation that we're dealing with different societies. Yeah, that too. With different expectations for women. And so, like, what might seem liberating for some women might not be liberating for other women. Yeah. And that's my thoughts on that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, but I think it's also about foregoing practical skills in order to find a husband and more about the fact that you can't deny parts of someone. In the end, mm-hmm. she was both a highly skilled warrior and someone who longed for love and family. Mm-hmm. And ultimately running away to start a family was a much more fulfilling way for her to live her life than being used by her father for her battle skills while being denied what she really wanted. I mean, she was. this was all like when she was a teenager and she was like, yeah. you know, learning about life. And she was saying like, you know, I want to go get married instead of like being a warrior. And she was super young. Like she has the right to do what she wanted for the rest of her life. Yeah, I mean, like, she could have been, like, going through, at least to some extent, a teenage rebellion phase where she's like, I've been under under your wing like this entire time and now I want to be independent and I want to you know be away from my parents for a bit you know like all teenagers are like have this yeah. period where they're like leave me alone mom and dad you know like <laughs> let me do my own thing and that's sort of what she's doing to like a more intense extent yeah like getting jailed and planting a whole field of okra exactly she's just going through her self-discovery yeah and she should be able to mm-hmm. I also think it's important that Yenenga, being the mother of the Mossy people, isn't just about the fact that she gave birth to Widraogo and he went off to do great things. If it hadn't been for Yenenga's journey and her resilience and rebellion, Widraogo wouldn't have had the dream of starting a new kingdom. It says in the story that Widraogo was similar to his mother and that he wanted to carve out his own destiny. So in that way, the founding of the Mossy kingdom isn't just the story of Widraogo riding north and establishing his kingdom, it's also the story of Yenenga's legacy and having fought for her freedom and taken her life into her own hands. A journey that began with fighting for her personal desires and ended with her inspiring her son to start his new kingdom, and her legacy continues even to now. Yeah. Widrogo would never have been able to found the Masi kingdom if he hadn't had Yenenga for a mother. Ultimately, he was just continuing his mother's legacy of independence and resolve and carving out his own path in the world rather than doing what was expected of him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I definitely had felt myself slightly falling into that trap where it's like, well, you know, women only ever get to be sort of like the mothers of civilization. Like, they don't get to be the founders they're just the mother of the founders or whatever yeah but i think that point is really good and like shows that it's more than just that it's more than just her like you said it's more than just her giving birth it's her being the inspiration and creating the idea that her son can do his own thing and not follow like the rules of the society that they both came from like creates yeah like ultimately yananga's journey was necessary for the founding of Mm -hmm. the kingdom it wasn't just about widaroga doing heroic things yananga is a very important part of the story of the founding of the mossy kingdom yeah and that's really awesome yeah and i mean like She's the one who's on all the on the statues. Yeah. Well, actually, I mean, I'm sure there's I'm sure there's probably like statues of her son as well. Like I assume so, considering he was like their first king. But like, you know, she's the one who's getting all like the attention and the name recognition. I mean, what I can tell you is that Yenanga's Wikipedia is pretty long, and then Widerogo's like one sentence. (laughs) Well, there we go. He's also very important, obviously, but Yenanga is the one who's like more remembered, it seems. Mm-hmm. Which is kind of nice. Yeah. I feel like that's nice. Mm-hmm. I also found it notable that Nadega had been quite restrictive and stubborn while Yenenga was young. But then in the 20 years following her disappearance, he learned and grew from his mistakes. 
and nurtured Wedrogo when he came to visit rather than holding grudges and support him and his endeavors in a way that he had failed to do with Yananga. I mean, it could have just been that like she raised Wedrogo and then he was like, I want to go found a new kingdom. But then Nadega ended up being really important in his journey because he's the one that educated him mm-hmm. and everything. Yeah. I think this is notable because first of all, it's great character development and shows that you can act poorly but then make up for it later. It's nice, you know, redemption. Mm-hmm. And also because it shows how older generations are meant to nurture younger generations so the same mistakes won't be repeated and how he sort of like got a second chance to do something good for his progeny. I don't know. Yeah. Is that even- yeah, yeah, yeah. Also, I love the moment where Yananga comes back to her father, fearful that he would still hate her and like after all these years, only to find out that he's grown since she's been away and had forgiven her and was happy to see her. I think it's beautiful that he gets a second chance and Yananga gets to have a better relationship with her father going forward. Yeah. Overall, it's, it's a nice ending. Yeah, it's really great. I really loved your point, particularly about nurturing future generations. Yeah. And yeah, like, I feel in a lot of these stories, we don't ever really get that resolution between father and child. Yeah. And so to know that there's that resolution and that there's no hard feelings, basically, is really, it's really nice. It makes it a really nice, complete story. I agree. And Yuninga's rebellion was definitely really important for her journey, mm-hmm. but it doesn't mean that Yuninga has to be the villain. Yeah. And I mean, it shows that she also influenced her father as well. And she yeah. showed him like, hey, I can't live like this anymore. So she left. And then her father realized after he'd been without her for several years, I'm the one who messed up. I was the one who was wrong. And I'm, I'm the one who needs to make amends. Yeah. And yeah, like that's significant. Yeah, and he gives Widrogo his blessing. It's great. Yeah, like something I realized recently when I was reading a similar book was like, we don't really get a ton of apologies Yeah, in mythology. That's true. <laughs> There's not that much apology. There's not much, much like effort to restore like broken relationships. Mm-hmm. And so to see that is, it's really great. That should be a model people should follow. Like, Yeah, no, it is really nice. You can always like fix things, you know, like it doesn't have to be the end if you have to like leave your father for a while, like. Yeah. yeah, which is great. I mean, a lot of mythology is not necessarily about, like, nuance, maybe. I mean, yeah, a lot I mean, of it's some, very, very Some, yes, but some of it's, yeah, some of it's like, this person did something bad, so now they're the villain type of thing. Yeah. Which is fine sometimes. Yeah. But it's kind of nice that this one doesn't do that. Yeah, I mean, it just, like, shows, you know, we're talking about people here, as opposed to, like, you know, this guy did this thing, and then he got trapped in a net for a while and laughed at for a while, and that's why you shouldn't do things like this or something like yeah. that, you know? <laughs> it's also nice that they're, like, origins story has nothing to do with gods and magic or anything it's just like yeah Yeah, you know about the people yeah it's great it's really nice it's about how extraordinary people can be totally yeah that's totally true so the poet asia monet wrote a poem called a poem for yananga which is excerpted in the short film Burkina Princess Yananga by Nicole McKinley Hahn, which goes, In the heart of Burkina Faso, travels the tale of a woman. It's a common tale to tell of fighting a war that is not ours. Yananga, Princess of Gambaga, a woman is warrior. Fierce with conviction, that which knows the soul best disguised herself in a means to escape other people's visions of who she ought to be. Running towards something more than running away, she the stallion of running. Which is a nice poem. Mm-hmm. Um, also, I like the part where it says that she wasn't running away as much as she was running yeah. towards something, which I totally agree with that. Yeah, well, I was just thinking that. I was like, that's really awesome yeah. way to say it. You know, like she wasn't running away. She was creating, she wasn't escaping something as much as she was creating something. Yeah, exactly. That's a good way of thinking about it. I mean, she's not like, oh, I'm going to run away from this oppressive thing. I mean, she kind of was. But then it was more like she gets to carve out her life the way that she wanted it to rather than like, 
oh, just this sucks or whatever. Yeah. And it was nice and ultimately worked out for her. I mean, she met her husband. She had this really great child. And ultimately, it all was very fruitful because it led to the founding of the Masi kingdom. Yeah. It's great. It's a nice story. I mean, I said before, like, oh, it's a nice ending. But really, there isn't really an ending to the story. Yeah, because... it's, it's still going. Yeah, it's exactly. Still going. I mean, the Masi people are still in Burkina Faso and they still have Mogo Naba, who was like the leader. Mm-hmm. And yeah. It's just like, that's just the start, which is a really nice story. Yeah. I liked it. Yeah, it's really awesome. Thank you for sharing. You're welcome. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed listening, please leave us a review. Subscribe. We'll be back here in two weeks with another episode. Thank you. Thank you. Goodbye. With the Ladies Podcast is produced by Elizabeth LaCroix and Zoe Kenninger. Today's episode was researched and presented by Elizabeth LaCroix. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter at MythoLadies and visit us on our website at MythoLadies.com. Our cover art is by Helena Cayo. Our music was written and performed by Icarus Tyree. Thank you for listening. See you next time.